0: Chapter 3, and we're going to, Lord willing, finish that tonight. It's a three-chapter book. It's a very interesting book that has a lot of correlation with our society today. What I'm going to do, I'm going to read for the New Living Translation, but if you could follow it in our New King James, and then I'll go verse by verse through the New King James. Nahum chapter 3, verse 1. What sorrow awaits Nineveh, the city of murder and lies. She is crammed with wealth and is never without victims. Hear the crack of whips, the rumble of wheels. Horses' hooves pound and chariots clatter wildly. See the flashing swords and glittering spears as the charioteers charge past. There are countless casualties, heaps of bodies, so many bodies that people stumble over them. All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. I am your enemy, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and now I will lift your skirts and show all the earth your nakedness and shame. I will cover you with filth and show the world how vile you really are. All who see you will shrink back and say, Nineveh lies in ruins. Where are the mourners? Does anyone regret your destruction? Are you any better than the city of Thebes, situated on the Nile River, surrounded by water? She was protected by the river on all sides, walled in by water. Ethiopia and the land of Egypt gave unlimited assistance. The nations of Put and Libya were among her allies. Yet Thebes fell and her people were led away as captives. Her babies were dashed to death against the stones of the streets. Soldiers threw dice to get Egyptian officers as servants. All their leaders were bound in chains. And you, Nineveh, will also stagger like a drunkard. You will hide for fear of the attacking enemy. All your fortresses will fall. They will be devoured like the ripe figs that fall into the mouths of those who shake the trees. Your troops will be as weak and helpless as women. The gates of your land will be open wide to the enemy and set on fire and burned. Get ready for the siege. Store up water, strengthen the defenses. Go into the pits to trample clay and pack it into molds, making bricks to repair the walls. But the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you down. The enemy will consume you like locusts, devouring everything they see. There will be no escape, even if you multiply like swarming locusts. Your merchants have multiplied until they outnumber the stars. But like a swarm of locusts, they strip the land and fly away. Your guards and officials are also like swarming locusts. That crowd together in the hedges on a cold day but like locusts that fly away when the sun comes up all of them will fly away and disappear. Your shepherds are asleep, O Assyrian king. Your princes lie dead in the dust. Your people are scattered across the mountains with no one to gather them together. There is no healing for your wound. Your injury is fatal. All who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty in chapter one we see the Lord's anger against Nineveh same Nineveh if you were here when we uh, were teaching on Jonah this is a hundred years later this prophecy came and was fulfilled another hundred years after this particular prophecy so with Jonah if you remember Jonah came and gave seven or eight words and there was a major revival in Nineveh. Well, a hundred years later, the tide has turned. The Ninevites have gone back to their ways, and now the judgment of the Lord is falling on them. There's going to be no escape this time. Jesus, God's long-suffering, His mercy, has ended. And now we see in chapter 3 the judgment being fulfilled and carried out, what's going to happen. So what I'm going to do now is go back to the uh, New King James as we look at this. And again, whether you're here new or you've been coming here, remember there's always something that we're told in God's word that His word is for us today. It's not just for a thousand years ago or hundreds of years ago. When this was written and in Hebrews, it talks about we don't want God's word to slip away. We want it to be as relevant today as it was when God spoke to the people in the past. So I pray right now that we have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive those things that God wants to show to us from chapter three of Nahum. Uh, Verse one, woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery its victim never departs. Now, what I'm going to do is correlate it with some things that are going on in our society and I want you to see some of the similarities between Nineveh and the United States of America. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Bloody City, today in the United States of America, there's parts of aborted babies that are being used for medicinal reasons. Since abortion was made legal in 1973, nearly 57 million preborn babies have been violently destroyed. And I just want to say this before I go any further. If you're here and you've had an abortion or you're listening to this tape and you've had an abortion, understand that you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ if you are a child of the King so that is all in the past God has washed that away but that doesn't negate what has been happening in our country since 1973 again 57 million preborn babies have been violently destroyed they've been denied the most basic of all rights the right to life our Declaration of Independence calls this an an inalienable right. Every single day, a silent horror kills Americans. More Americans, more babies. I'm sorry, are killed in one day than were killed in 9/11. That's just in the United States. Every single year, this silent horror kills about as many Americans as have been killed on the battlefields in all the wars in the U.S. history combined. Just to try to give you the the tremendous amount of babies that have been killed. We have become a nation so with so little regard for human life that nobody even really talks that much about this issue anymore. But the truth is that it is the ver- at the very core of what is wrong with America. This particular author says, as I have written about previously, we have become a nation that is obsessed with population control and we have been exporting this sick philosophy all over the globe. There are U.S. organizations and U.N. organizations, both funded by your and my tax dollars, that are on the other side of the world setting up family planning services for women in poor countries. The goal of these organizations, just like we see in the United States, is to reduce the number of poor children being born. The sick control freaks that run things have decided that overpopulation is a plague that must be eradicated and that mass murder is the answer. Planned Parenthood receives more than 487 million dollars from the federal government during 2010. Our administration has forcefully defended federal and state funding for Planned Parenthood, the organization that does more than 330,000 abortions each year. That doesn't even mention policies that fund and encourage groups engaged in abortion in other countries. So when we look at verse one of Nahum, it says, woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victims never depart. The part that lies and robbery that I'm thinking of when I was doing this is just all the propaganda that we're told through the newspapers, uh, through the Republican party, through the Democratic party, Just things that you don't know whether to believe it or not anymore. You don't know how much is biased one side or the other. Victims, its victims never depart. Remember Assyria, uh, Nineveh, which was the largest city, the capital of um, Assyria. They were always persecuting. They were always hurting people. Um, It was a vicious, bloody city didn't have any regard for human life. Verses two and three, the noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. We think of that scene of just so many bodies that are being killed that even the horses and the men riding the horses have no room to really move without trampling over. They said in parts of World War II there were so many bodies being killed that the tanks actually lost traction because of the number of bodies that they were running over. Just the uh, war and the destruction that wars have caused Um, both in lives and money over the centuries is unbelievable. During 2013, law enforcement made an estimated of 11,302,102 arrests. Of those, 480,000 for violent crimes and over over 1.5 million for property crimes. The highest number of arrests were for drug abuse violations, estimated at 1.5 million. Larceny and theft was estimated at 1.2 million. And driving under the influence estimated at 1.1 million. There were an estimated 14,000 murders last year in the United States of America. Firearms were used in 69 percent of the nation's murders. There were an estimated 80,000 rapes reported to law enforcement. Victims of burglary offenses suffered an estimate of 4.5 billion in property losses and burglaries of residential properties accounted for 74% of the total reported. During 2013, an estimated 700,000 motor vehicles were reported stolen. They say that in, in, in LA, 300 cars are stolen a day. 300 cars are stolen a day. Other types of stolen vehicles include trucks, sport utility vehicles, buses, motorcycles, motor scooters, all-terrain vehicles. Over 37,000 people die in road crashes each year. An additional 2.3 million are injured or disabled. Over 1,600 children under 15 years of age die each year. Nearly 8,000 people are killed in crashes involving drivers ages 16 to 20. Let's take a look at verses uh, 4 and 5. Because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame." Sex trafficking is a $32 billion a year industry in the United States, victimizing between 300,000 and 400,000 American children every year, according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. The amount of revenue produced by the sex trafficking industry annually is $58 billion. The pornography industry is about $8 billion a year in the United States of America to compare that with something that we're used to. Uh, Poland Springs, the water bottle industry, uh, would be similar to bringing in that much money in a year. Um, Additionally, pornography would make as much as eBay expects customers to buy and sell in its merchandise. And finally, the pornography industry would equal the amount of digital merchandise iTunes is set to sell in the next year or two. So you can see the epidemic that it is. What is different between Nineveh and the United States of America? Is there much of a difference of what's going on? Picking up in verse six, oh, one of the things in verse five is, behold, I am against you, says the Lord. In chapter two, the Lord says the same thing In verse 13, behold, I am against you. One of the things tonight, it's like heavy stuff that I'm throwing out here, but understand that the Lord is for you and me. He's not against you. Um, The Bible says that if God is for you, who can be against you? In other words, what does it matter if somebody's against you or me if the Lord is on our side? However, we have to see the two sides of God. He's a loving, merciful, graceful God. He's awesome. I mean, all of us who have received him know that. We know that we've been forgiven much and hopefully we love much. But remember, there is another side of God. He is a righteous judge. And he's going to exact judgment on the people that don't come under his blood. And this is one of the warnings um, that Jonah brought to Nineveh a hundred years earlier. And if we know Jonah, we know Jonah's heart, how he was really against the Ninevites, he would have loved this message that Nahum is bringing. Jonah would have loved this message. But God didn't choose Jonah. He chose Nahum to bring this prophecy to the people. Picking up in verse 6, I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. This goes along with verse 5 where it talks about I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness. Remember one of the things with the Assyrians, they were vicious. They would embarrass their enemies. They would strip them. They would tear the skin off them. They would make their walls on their on their, um the walls of their city. Remember, their city was over 300,000 square miles. Think of that, 300,000 square miles. It was bigger than London. It was bigger than Philadelphia area. Um, Again, the walls were, there were 1,500 towers on the wall, and the towers were 200 feet high. It was a massive city, massive, tons of gold, tons of silver, Yet the Lord said it was going to be destroyed. And history shows how it was destroyed. Alexander the Great fought a battle in the area of Nineveh. Didn't even know Nineveh was there anymore. There was no remnant, no no part of Nineveh that was around yet. Alexander the Great was on the very ground where Nineveh stood. God did destroy it totally. The prophecy became history. God's prophecy that have been fulfilled, we can look back as, as history. Think of the prophecies that still have to be fulfilled. Those are the things that we hold on to, isn't it? Don't we hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that what he said is going to be fulfilled? Well, one day we're going to look back and that's going to be history because God's prophecies are always fulfilled and it always becomes history. We have our Bible that we can look back and see that God's word is true and he is a God of his word. Verse seven, it shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Remember, Nineveh was a place, people hated it. We, people would commit suicide if they knew that the Ninevites were going to invade, if the Assyrians were going to come against them, they would commit suicide rather than have this nation come against them because of the viciousness and the barbarianism of, this, of that nation. Are you better than Noamon, that was situated by the river, that had the waters around here, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? And as I read in the uh, New Living Translation, that was Thebes. And Thebes was in Egypt. And what was so interesting about Thebes, it was similar to Nineveh. It was a powerful city. It was built right on the rivers, on the moats that surrounded it, so it was hard to get to it. It was said to be unpenetrable, that no one was ever going to come against Egypt and beat it. Well, guess who beat them? The Assyrians. And now God is saying to them, are you no better than Thebes that was situated by the river? So just like Thebes was on the river, so was Nineveh. It was surrounded by moats, so it was hard to get to. Yet, two and a half miles of the wall of Nineveh, because of the uprising of the water, because of floodwaters, knocked out two and a half miles of that huge wall. And that's the way the Babylonians came in and destroyed the Assyrians. That's how this particular book was fulfilled. So what we're reading now, a hundred years later, Babylonia came in and wiped out the Assyrians and they became the new Assyria, the Babylonians. Verse 9, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength and it was boundless put and Lubum were your helpers so these were other nations that they relied on you know and in verse ten it says yet she was carried away she went into captivity her young children also were dashed to pieces the little kids were killed that's how vicious they were they would take the kids and they would smash them on the pavement and kill them cracking their skulls open no regard for life yet how about the united states of america As a nation do we have regard for life and the answer is no, we do not. When you see sixty million babies that have been killed since 1973 and over a million a year, the United States does not have any concern for the most innocent of lives. At the head of every street they cast lots for her honorable men. And all her great men were bound in chains. So all these studs, all these soldiers, all these people that protected the city weren't anything. They weren't anything anymore. They were being taken over. Verse 11, you also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. Tides will turn. Just like they attacked Thebes and defeated it, now they're going to be attacked and be defeated. They're going to be trembling. They're going to be staggering around, not knowing what to do. They will be overtaken. Verse 12, all your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. So when you go up to a fig tree with the ripened figs, you shake it and they just fall off, ready to be consumed, ready to be devoured. Well, that's how Nineveh was going to be. It was ripe for destruction. And the Babylonians... We're going to be used by God to defeat the Assyrians, just as the Assyrians were being used. And remember, God used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to invade Israel and brought the Israelites into captivity because they turned their back on their God. It was the only way God could get their attention. What is it going to take for the United States? for them to turn back to God. I believe it's you and I. I believe it's you and me. I believe it's the people in the United States of America that we need to be the United States of Christ-centered followers of Jesus who are praying for our country, that we're humbling ourselves. that we pray for our country. And God tells us in Chronicles that if we do humble ourselves and pray, God will hear from heaven and heal our land. But are we taking that serious? Maybe in this church we are. But what about all those other people that are calling themselves believers? Do they understand this? Or are they caught up in the idols that are out there? The technology, the sports, uh, the economy, whatever it is. What is it that's distracting them from the main thing? And that's loving Jesus Christ and loving the people that God has put in your path. Verse 13, Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fires shall devour the bars of your gates. The men have been destroyed. The men who are supposed to be protectors of the homes of the city have been destroyed by the Babylonians. The women and the children are vulnerable now. In our country, because of pornography, because of adultery, men are no longer protectors as of this nation. They have allowed things to creep in. We as men need to return to our roots, which is Jesus Christ. We need to follow biblical values. We need to follow Jesus Christ so we can be the leaders God wants us to be. And again, it doesn't matter young or old, middle age. It has nothing to do with that at all. We can see David as a teenager or we can see Caleb as an 80-year-old man, both used by God. It's the willingness in our hearts, guys, to be used by him regardless of our age. We need to step up. And women, you need to be praying for the men. You are an example of a prayer warrior because of the sensitivity that you have to the Holy Spirit of the living God. You can be that example and just keep it praying. Keep knocking down the demonic forces that are trying to distract the people, especially the males in your lives, whether it was the kids or your husband, from what God has called him to do. It's that, I, I believe it's that serious. Verse 14 draw your water for the siege. Now, this part we're reading now, God is really mocking. He's mocking the, uh, being very sarcastic. Okay, he's saying in verse 14, go ahead, draw your water for the siege, fortify your strongholds, go into the clay and tread the mortar, make strong the brick kiln. In other words, go for it, guys. Make everything as strong as you want. You know, you haven't depended on me, you haven't turned to me. Your ancestors a hundred years ago listened to Jonah and we spared the city. There was a major revival in Assyria because your king, all the way down to the animals, put on sackcloth and ashes, and there was a repentance, and I showed mercy to your land. Here you are now, a hundred years later, going back to your ways. You didn't learn from the history that had taken place, that revival that took place, and now you're going back. And go ahead, fortify your city. You think you're bad. You think you're indestructible. Well, go ahead, do all that stuff. And in verse 15, there the fire will devour you, the sword will cut you off, it will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Think of that swarm of locusts, you know, you think of the different movies with um, uh, Moses, just the thousands or millions of locusts. Make yourself many like the locust. make yourself many like the swarming locusts. Go for it, go ahead, build up your armies, build up your economy see if that's going to be your savior, see if that's where your salvation is in your military and in your, in your money. I'm going to show you that that isn't. We can look back, you and I, at history. It has nothing to do with our military. It has nothing to do with the, our economy. It has to do, it's a moral issue, it has to do with a relationship with the living God. And our land, as we know, are passing laws that are right out of the scripture as clear-cut sins. And now they're making sin legal in all different ways. And the doors, the floodgates are open. But remember where grace abound or where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And God has put you and I on this earth for such a time as this. To use you and I in a world that's getting darker and darker. Verse 16, you have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heavens. The locust plunders and flies away. Think of any place, any nation, United States, think of all the merchants we have throughout our land from the East Coast to the West Coast. Think of the millions of dollars that are made in the economy with businesses. Well, any nation that goes under, what do the merchants do? They pick up and they move where the money is. Basically, they're saying this, hey, you've multiplied your merchants, you're thriving as your economy right here in Nineveh and in Assyria, it's gonna dry up and it's gonna fly away. And all we have to do is look back. And remember what I said about Alexander the Great. He had no knowledge that he was standing on Nineveh, this huge city. That's how destroyed it got. It was under the earth. You didn't see it anymore. There was no remnant of Nineveh. Until the mid-1800s, when archaeologists archeolo- dug it up and they f- started finding some of the parts of the city. It wasn't until the mid-1800s that it had just vanished. Verse 17, Your commanders are like swarming locusts, and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they are is not known. The commanders of their armies who were once dominant, they were the military might of the world, just like we know of Moscow or China, or they know of uh, New York or Washington, D.C., They all disappeared. Even the generals were like grasshoppers. They're just insects. It didn't matter anymore. Notice what happened at the end. Where they went, nobody knows. They fled. They weren't around. They were killed or they just fled. Verse 18, your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. Everybody just fled. They're trying to get away from the destruction. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you, for upon whom, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually. If we knew today that ISIS was in one nation and that they were defeated, we would clap our hands. We would be cheering, saying, thank you, Lord, for destroying that terrible, terrible, terrible military terrorist group. That's what happened when they heard the destruction of Nineveh and Assyria. They were psyched. They were pumped up. The Bible tells you and I that judgment begins with the house of God. And I mentioned in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will hear their prayers and heal their land. Tonight, when you go to sleep, and you might wake up a couple times during the night, don't think about going back to sleep. Just pray. Pray for your family. Pray for your kids. Pray for this nation. Pray for the president. Pray for the cabinet, pray for the senators, pray for the upcoming election, pray for yourself. Just keep talking to Jesus in psalms, in song, or just with your heart, just pray to him. Don't let a day go by when you have that dead time. Just use it faithfully and pray without ceasing. Get in that habit, everybody. We all need to do this. We all need to pray for one another. Righteousness exalts a nation, the Bible says. Righteousness exalts a nation. Right now, we're not a righteous nation. We have people in our nation that are righteous because we're covered in the blood of Christ. But as a nation, we're not righteous in God's eyes. Judgment is coming. The title of tonight's message is Pray for Delay. Pray for Delay. And... The delay is this. You have people in your life. I have people in my life that we know that have yet to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. If the world ended today, if Jesus came back right now, there are people that we know that want to be counted in the number. You and I need to pray. I think of Abraham when he was confronted with, by Jesus before um, Jesus and his angels were going to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, hey, if there's he whittle his way down, remember? If there's five people that are righteous, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And, and God said, yeah, I'll spare him," But there wasn't five people. I know in this country, in this church, there's more than five people So when is God's judgment going to come? Has it already started in parts of our land? Some people say yes. Some people say, well, right now we're under the wrath of man. Others say no, we're starting to see the wrath of God. All I know is this, that you and I have another day right now. Lord willing, we'll wake up in the morning and have another day tomorrow to pray for those people that come in our path. Before we close, I need to share with you something that happened today. Um, Marissa is a, was just finished ninth grade. She came to a youth group here. She received the Lord, I believe, back in um, Highlands. Uh, some of you might have seen her running around helping with hamburgers or clothes or stuff like that during Sandy. She was in Bruce and Karen Cozman's church that was down in Highlands. And I need to show you this, I believe this, I believe that as I, uh, when I was teaching Jonah and Nahum, that I believe that there are demonic forces that are in every community. I believe there's demonic forces, the same ones like the Prince of Tear that we read about in the Old Testament. I believe that demonic force is still there over in the Middle East. I think we see it with the oppression of the people over there, how the only thing they can, uh, there's only one religion they can choose and if they don't choose that religion they're killed or tortured until they confess the false god i believe that there is a demonic force right in highlands and atlantic highlands in jamesburg and in the communities that you and i live in i believe there are forces that are distracting our kids that are distracting you and me as a um, pastor here but more important just as a person who loves young people to see some of you parents out here tonight and bringing your kids here tonight. I commend you. I applaud you. I think that is awesome um, because we need to get serious. I just came back from the FCA camp and there were 650 kids and I'm just going to throw out there was a great speaker who I know. He loves the Lord. He goes around the world. It's great with kids, great sense of humor. He asked a couple questions and here's the gist of the questions. Um, He asked the kids, how many of you out there know someone that smokes weed? Almost every hand went up. That really didn't surprise me because I know the drug epidemic just in our school and in our communities around our school. Second question, how many of you, when your mom or dad are at home, know somebody who came over your house that was having sex with somebody else in the room and your parents didn't know it? Almost the same number of hands went up uh, that did for smoking weed. That was so surprising to the speaker who deals with kids all the time. He just couldn't believe it. Sin is rampant in our country. Sin is rampant in our schools. I don't care if it's public school, parochial school, Christian school, private school. It doesn't matter. Until Jesus Christ grabs the heart of each of us here, and grabs the heart of each of our kids, we are not going to see a drastic change in this country. So, when you expose your children to Bible believing uh, events, whatever that is, understand that for 365 days, if we broke it down, maybe, maybe 10, To 20% they're getting of Christ-centered things versus being bombarded by the world for the other percentage. Think about it. Just think about what I just said. If they're in an environment that they're not being exposed to godly principles, that means they're being exposed to ungodly principles. But the same thing goes to you and I in our workplace. We need that fresh manna every day, just like the Israelites had in Egypt. They had the bread from heaven. We have the bread of life right here. We need to partake of it. We need to eat of this. We need to meditate on it. It will change us from the inside out. We need to expose our kids. I need you. The pastors here need you. The elders need you to pray for the kids in this church. Right now it's summertime. Okay. There was a nice turnout tonight of kids coming out for the midweek Bible service. And we're going to do this through the summer and then we're going to evaluate it. But we need parental support. We do. I know you love your kids. That's that's a no-brainer. But today, a couple hours ago, I went into Jersey Shore Hospital to see Marissa. And when you see a little girl, 15 years old, all hooked up with tubes, and see her mom sit in there, it brings everything back to reality. We are here temporarily. There are things in your life and my life that distract us from the real issue. And the real issue is how deep and how intimate are we with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can never be too intimate. We can never know him enough. This, This Bible is like a black hole. We can never cover it all. There is never enough. We can read it 100 times, and on the 101st time, it's going to be new stuff that God wants to reveal to us because we're finite. He's infinite. We can't handle all the stuff at once. So if there's anything from tonight, there's two things. One, pray for your family. Pray for your kids. Keep getting them plugged into the things that are available to them. It's so important. These kids go on to college, and many of them just turn their back on their faith and walk away. We need kids going into their college to turn their college upside down. We need each of us to continue to grow and have our heart ripped open and put back together again. We can't allow our 30, 40, 50, 60, or 70 years to just say status quo. We want to take a new mountain for Jesus Christ tomorrow. We don't want to see somebody else do it. We want new people. We want everybody involved in the process of what Jesus Christ is calling each of us to do. And if you don't hear his call, say, Jesus, I need to hear your calling. I need you to put that fire and passion in my heart to do those things that you want me to do today, tomorrow. And go for it. And don't get distracted on all those other things. The second thing is this. God is a God of love. He is also a God of judgment. There is a judgment coming on this on this earth. Remember Billy Graham for you, those of you who remember Billy, he said this. If you, if God doesn't judge you in the United States of America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. This nation needs to be judged because it's turned its back on God. But maybe maybe Because of you and I and the remnant of believers in the United States of America, if we humble ourselves before the living God and pray that God will turn the hearts of the people like he did in Jonah's time in Assyria, in Nineveh, and cause a revival of millions and millions of people before that utter, utter destruction comes as it does here in Nahum.